0: included our sermon series titled Jesus Is, where we were looking at the claims that Jesus makes about himself. And this morning, we're picking back up the sermon series through the book of Acts that we started in January. So if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 8? If you don't have a Bible, there should be a red one near you on the chairs, um, I think. Is there, are there red ones? No? All right. If you would like a Bible, uh, raise your hand and someone can uh, drop one off for you. Um, or pull out your phone and follow along on your favorite Bible app or Google search. We're looking at Acts chapter 8. We started the book of Acts in January, and we looked at how Jesus was preparing his disciples to launch the church. He, he gave them his spirit to empower them. He gave them the apostles to teach them, and the church committed to that truth and committed to one another began to launch this movement, which has continued even to today. And we pick up now in chapter 8, where the mission of the church is beginning to go beyond the walls of Jerusalem and will take it to the ends of the world even to Cleveland and Mayfield Heights. We today are part of this unfolding story of the church taking the gospel to the world, including right here in Mayfield Heights in the east side of Cleveland. This morning's passage, we're going to see Philip take the gospel to a city in Samaria, and with it, there comes great joy. Now, when you look at your community— When you look around, do you see great joy? The motto of Mayfield Heights is that we are a vibrant community. And in many ways, there is great joy here. We are a city of just about 19,000 people. We're increasing in our population year after year. Many people and families are moving to the community because the school system is wonderful. We're increasingly becoming more and more beautifully diverse. In fact, the the city hired a new position two weeks ago to specifically celebrate and identify ways in which we as a city can grow in our diversity awareness. There's some wonderful things happening in the city of Mayfield and the surrounding communities as well. But there's still great potential for more joy. The three top issues facing Mayfield Heights right now are uh, racial tension, psychological issues of depression and loneliness, and great drug and alcohol abuse. And those are happening in our communities. There's great potential for joy to come to Mayfield, and we believe that the gospel has the power to bring great joy. That's what we're going to look at this morning, that Philip One of the deacons of the church brings the gospel to a city and brings great joy. So if you want to follow along in your bulletin and write down notes, I've got three questions we're going to look at this morning. First, why did the gospel go to the city? Second, what did it take to reach the city? And third, how can we see that happen in our own city? So why did the gospel go to the city? What did it take to reach the city, and how can we make that happen in our city? Well, let's read chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, and then we'll discuss. Just some context, the church is increasing, but so is persecution, and in fact, Stephen has just been martyred for his faith, and now we're going to see the repercussions of that. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and they saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want our city, our community, to have great joy. And we know that the source of that joy is the gospel alone. And so, Father, we pray for your word to penetrate our hearts through your spirit, that we would be a people committed to bringing great joy to the city around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So first, why did the gospel go to the city? Well, the gospel went to the city because disciples of Jesus understood their role in the unfolding story of redemption and restoration. They understood that they had a part to play in sharing the gospel. You see, they were being scattered around Judea and Samaria. They were originally in Jerusalem, but because of this persecution, verse 1 and verse 4 tell us that the people were scattered. And as they went about, into the various cities, the disciples of Jesus understood what role they played in sharing the gospel. But who was it that was going? Well, we see in verse 1 and 4 that the apostles stayed put in Jerusalem, and it was just run-of-the-mill, ordinary disciples of Jesus that took the gospel to the cities. It wasn't professional Christians, It wasn't the apostles. It wasn't pastors. It wasn't missionaries. It was people like you who followed Jesus and understood that wherever Jesus would send them, they had a part to play in what he was doing. These disciples of Jesus, they understood that there was a mission for them. And in verse 4 says that they were proclaiming, they were preaching the word. And and I, I don't know what you think of when you think of proclaiming or preaching. You probably think of someone like me up front in front of people, standing in front of a crowd, talking. And and that's what Philip in verse 5 is doing. He's standing in front of a crowd. But the normal people, everyday followers of Jesus, they they weren't necessarily standing up in front of a crowd preaching the gospel. They were, as, as one other pastor said, they were gossiping the gospel wherever they went. It, it was like the gospel was what was always on their mind and their heart, and so it was always on their lips, so that in any conversation they had along the way, they would bring up the gospel. It, it was just something so natural to the way that they talked with their neighbors that they shared the gospel as they were scattered about. Because they understood their role in the unfolding story that Jesus was putting before them. Because these disciples understood two things. This is why the gospel went to the city. They understood two things. That they were there for their neighbors. And they were there for their neighbor's good. Two things. One, they were there for their neighbors. And two, they were there for their neighbor's good. Here's what I mean. Way back in Genesis 12, first book of the Bible, when God first calls Abraham out of his country to come to the promised land that God was preparing for them. Back when when Abraham first moved to this new city, this new land, God said, Abraham, I am going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you descendants, and you will have this land, and you will flourish here. But God says, this blessing is not primarily for you. He says, I will bless you so that all of the nations of the world will be blessed through you. Abraham, you will have great families and descendants, and you will thrive in this land. I will be your God, but it is not primarily for you that I am doing this. God says, I am giving you all these things so that your neighbors will be blessed. And this begins a pattern throughout the whole Bible, that when God calls his people to himself to bless them, He blesses them. He calls them to himself so that he can send them to their neighbors. This is the pattern throughout the Bible, that we come to Jesus and are blessed in him, yes and amen, with every spiritual blessing through Christ. But we are blessed in order to be a blessing to others. So these disciples understood that as they are going out, they are being sent by Jesus for their neighbors. And they're being sent for their neighbor's good. Because something else that these first followers of Jesus understood was that when God scatters his people to the nations, he calls them to do good to the city around them. And the greatest paradigm for this is when the people of God were, were scattered into exile. And in 500 BC, when the people of God were scattered into exile, they, they landed up in Babylon, their enemy's headquarters. They were captives in Babylon. And they, they initially camped out on the outskirts of town. They, they pulled together by themselves while scattered to the nations. But God, he sent them a letter through the prophet Jeremiah. And in this letter of encouragement, God says to them, do not stay on the outskirts of town. Move into the city. Buy houses. Marry off your sons and daughters. Plant gardens. Enter into business with your neighbors. And he says, Because if the city around you flourishes, you will flourish. God's people were sent into Babylon to make Babylon flourish. And so here in Acts chapter 8, the disciples of Jesus understood that God was scattering them to the cities around them for the sake of their neighbors and for their neighbors' good. That is why Story Church exists. Our mission is to to invite our neighbors into a new story shaped by Jesus because we believe that that is the only story that offers real forgiveness. It's the only story that offers a new identity that we're all longing for. It's a story that gives us deep purpose and lasting transformation. Our neighbors around Mayfield Heights and Lindhurst and Chesterland and Pepper Pike and Highland Heights, everywhere around us, our neighbors are longing for this kind of story. We believe that God has sent us here for our neighbors and for their good. Do you believe that that is why Jesus has placed you where you live. Do you believe that that is why you are part of this church? We don't exist primarily for ourselves. We come here to worship God and be filled with his grace and mercy because God wants to bless those who are not yet part of this church. That is why we exist. So that's why the gospel went to the city. Because people like you and me believed that that's why God was sending us. But then when they got there, what did it take to reach the city? So let's look at what Philip did. Philip, he's one of the deacons of the early church. And when he got to the city, he did three things. And we see this in verse 5. And following. There were three things that Philip did to reach the city with the gospel. It took spiritual revival, physical healing, and crossing cultural boundaries. It took spiritual revival, physical healing, and crossing cultural boundaries. Real quick, let me run through these. First, spiritual revival. Philip came and preached Christ And the demons and evil spirits were eradicated. I mean, people who were possessed heard the gospel and it transformed their lives. And that might sound miraculous to you, but friends, apart from Christ, we are dead and blind to the gospel. We are dead and blind to the spiritual realm. And so any time that the gospel is preached and people respond, we are witnessing the miraculous happen. Where eyes are opened, hearts are opened to receive the gospel, and God revives our souls. The preaching of the gospel brought revival. Now in our community, I mean, there are spiritually blind and hurting neighbors all around us. It is a largely religious community, whether or not there's a lot of people that actually attend church. And and I'd, I'd say that the most pervasive spiritual blindness that we face when we talk to our neighbors is this. Our neighbors believe, and maybe we at times believe too, that we can manipulate God's love and affection towards us on the basis of our own behavior. And that sounds technical, but here's what I mean. We go around thinking that as long as we're doing what we think we should do with our lives, then God ought to bless us and be good to us. But when we mess up, when we cheat, when we steal, when we lie, when we do things that we know we're not supposed to do, well, then God's angry and he's going to punish us. And so we try to manipulate how God is going to behave towards us by changing our behavior. That's the spiritual climate all around us. But when the gospel is preached, it says this. You can't do that. Because if you actually understood your own heart Even your best attempts at doing good things are marred by selfish motivations. And so we all stand before God guilty of sin. But the good news of the gospel is that we can be guaranteed of God's unending, never-giving-up love for us because Jesus has lived the life we could never live and has died in our place on the cross And so by faith in him alone, we will be given the assurance of his love for us. Friends, when that message is preached, people go from death to life. How do we reach the city with the gospel? We see spiritual revival by preaching the gospel. But secondly, Philip also accompanies his gospel preaching with physical healing. He goes to those who are are paralyzed and lame, and he heals them. This is the same kind of work that the apostles just a few chapters before were doing in the streets of Jerusalem. He miraculously heals these people who were hurting. And we could argue for hours about whether or not those gifts of the Spirit still happen today or not, but I think that'd be missing the point. Because what Philip is doing is showing that when Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't just purchasing our redemption from sin. He was securing the restoration of all things. Jesus came into the world not just to redeem us, but to restore God's world. And what Philip is doing is, he is, in healing these people, showing that there is real hope in Jesus. That that future restoration of all things has surprisingly come into the present. He understood that in order for people to understand that the message of hope is real hope, that there is physical healing that needs to accompany it. And so, we as Christians... Not only are we to be gossiping the gospel, but we need to be working towards physical healing in our neighborhoods. Where there is hurting, let us move towards with healing. Where there is injustice, let us move towards them with justice and peace. Where there is oppression, let us move towards it with love. The Apostle James says that without, without these works of righteousness accompanying our preaching of the gospel, then the preaching of our gospel is of no value. He says if you have a brother or a friend who is cold or without food, and you merely go up to them with a message of hope, and you leave them without giving them food and without clothing them, your message of hope is of no value. We need to preach the gospel and see spiritual revival, but we also need a people that are seeking to bring about physical healing all around us. And then third, Philip reached the city by crossing cultural barriers. Philip went to, our text says, a city of Samaria. And most people think that this is the capital of Samaria. And if you know anything about Samaria, you know that it's, it was filled with half-breeds. They were half-Jewish and half-Gentile residents. They weren't fully Jewish and they weren't fully Gentile. And so they didn't belong to anyone around them. And in fact, both the Jews and the Gentiles looked down on them. They were religiously inferior They were intellectually inferior. No one wanted to associate with them. And then look at the people in Samaria that Philip actually went to. He went to the spiritually oppressed who had demons. He went to the paralyzed and the lame. So in addition to the ethnic and racial and religious barrier, Philip even went to the people within their own culture that were further isolated. Because Philip understood that the gospel is for everyone. No matter your background, no matter where you've come from, what you've done in life, no matter what you're doing now, no matter what the world says about you, the gospel is for you. And Philip crossed those cultural boundaries again and again to bring the gospel. So what did it take to reach the city? It took spiritual revival. It took physical healing. And it took crossing cultural boundaries. And so third, we have to ask, how can we make that happen here? How can you and I bring the gospel to our city? How can we engage our neighbors and our coworkers, our city officials, our friends and family with the gospel right here? What does it take? Well, if we look at this passage, we see that these first disciples, the way that they were able to take it was they were committed to responding to Rejection, oppression, and persecution with love. They responded to persecution with love. I mean, this whole chapter begins because there is great persecution in Jerusalem. And rather than gathering together and saying, We're going to fight, they say, All right, Jesus, you're sending me out to love. They're committed to responding to opposition. With love. And I think we need to do more of that as Christians today. In the third century, one of the church fathers, Tertullian, he wrote down this famous sentence, maybe you've heard it too The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. What he means is when When people's lives are taken from them in defense of the gospel, the gospel doesn't go away. It increases. When persecution and opposition increases, that doesn't squander the church's mission. It allows it to flourish. But that doesn't happen by itself. We have to consciously recognize that we're facing opposition from those around us and choose love instead of anger, or hate, or reviling, or sarcasm. We need to choose love. And the way that we do that, the way that they were able to do that, is they understood the gospel wasn't just something true that they believed in. The gospel offered real power. The gospel offered them real power, and here's what I mean. The gospel says that Jesus died and then came back to life, and there is great power in that. The the, the gospel has this power because there's this pattern that when something dies, God is going to bring it back to life. That's the power of the gospel. And when Christians believe that the gospel isn't just something to believe is true, but to experience, well, then we can face opposition and persecution and and difficulty because we know that even in our small defeats, God is doing something in that death to bring about new life. And here's how that works. Stephen, the first martyr of the church, the one who sort of began this whole explosion, when he was standing before his executioners, when they had picked up stones and were about to stone him to death, Luke tells us that Stephen looked up into the heavens and saw Jesus Christ risen, standing before the Father. And Stephen cries out and says, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. Stephen says exactly what Jesus said on the cross because Stephen knew that if Jesus could die for him and be brought back to new life, death itself was not going to be the end of the gospel with Stephen. Stephen could face death. He could be killed and believe that somehow this was going to produce new life. And we're seeing that in Acts chapter eight. Stephen died but now people are hearing the gospel who have never heard it before. They believe that the gospel had power to go from death to life. And so friends, if we want to reach the city, there's going to be small deaths along the way. Hopefully not mortal, physical deaths, but believe me, these are serious too. Because some of you in your workplace are going to be called from God to act with integrity, and honesty, and goodness, which will go against your supervisor and your coworkers. And Jesus is saying to us, die to yourself, live in righteousness. You might get fired, but somehow and in some way, new life is going to come from that. Some of us are going to be asked to give financially to God's kingdom in a way that will hurt us. And that, for you, might feel like death. But if we believe the gospel, then we can do that with the confidence that believing somehow and in some way, God is going to take this death and bring about new life. Or even if you think about ways in which you and your family can invest time with a neighbor or a friend, someone beyond those cultural boundaries that Jesus is calling us to cross. Look, to give up your own time and attention and comfort to be poured out into someone else, that's hard. Jesus is calling us to die to ourselves, to pour ourselves out into those around us. And the only way we can do that, the only way we can pour ourselves out for the sake of our neighbors, is if we look and behold the glory of God in Jesus, who poured himself out for you. He gave up everything for you so that in him we would have everything. And if in him we have everything, well then, pouring ourselves out for our neighbors is, is not a big deal. Jesus has given us everything in himself. And he's promised us that when we pour ourselves out for our neighbors, for their good, for the sake of bringing the gospel to them, the Lord promises new life. Let us do that with confidence, believing in Jesus who himself died for us and was raised to new life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you call us, you have called us here for our neighbors and for their good. You have called us to preach the gospel, to heal those who are hurting, and to cross boundaries, Lord, of isolation. We pray, Lord, as we pour ourselves out, we would look to you, who through your son poured out his life for us. Let us be strengthened in the gospel through your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray.